0: back. We'll be right back. You are listening to The 919 Podcast, the only podcast telling the stories of the over 1.5 million people living within and transforming the triangle. I'm your host, John Carter, and also I am the proud owner of a hundred new stickers that have the 919 Podcast logo on them. I should have gotten more, but this was kind of a trial to see if they look good, which they do, so I'll get some more in the future. But I do have a A lot to give out, and a couple people have already reached out to me already to try to get some. And if you're interested, um, I I guess email me or tweet at me, um, and we'll figure something out. I want you to proudly display the logo on your computer, water bottle, car, whatever. You can look super informed and cool. Okay, so this week I am joined by Jennifer Dassel. She is a curator of contemporary art at the North Carolina Museum of Art and the host of the Art Curious podcast. And as always, if you know someone who's making an impact in the triangle, tweet at me, Facebook me, or email me like a lot of you have at the 919 podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to share about the podcast with friends. Again, I'm hanging out with Jennifer Dassel. Let's get started. Welcome! I am here at the North Carolina Museum of Art here in Raleigh with Jennifer Dassel. She is the Associate Curator of Contemporary Art, host of the Art Curious podcast, and more that we'll talk about. Jennifer, thanks for being on the 919 Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, lots to talk about. Firstly, how about you tell listeners about yourself? How did you arrive in the Triangle And what are you into besides all the art stuff we're going to talk about?
1: (laughs) I have been here almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years this fall. I'm actually originally from California, uh, Northern California. And um, I came here, I'm very lucky that I ended up in a job at an art museum because curatorial jobs in particular are kind of few and far between. And I ended up with this one because of a cold email that I sent out to the woman who is now my boss, saying that wow. I, <laughs> I liked the museum and I wanted to be a curator and can I have uh, a job? <laughs> I, pretty much, I was. Uh, I had completed my master's degree in art history, but I had just finished um, doing a couple years of PhD coursework, and had known pretty early on that I wanted to be in a museum setting and I didn't want to be in an academic setting, and so I was in this point where I was transitioning out of my program and knew that I wanted to go get working. And I was very lucky in that it was one of those situations that was right place, right time. And, um, she wrote me back and said, Hey, I have a position that's open. Are you interested? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm very, uh, of course I said, yes. Um, and so I've been here almost 10 years and I started out as a, um, a curatorial assistant, kind of a lower level situation. And then I became an assistant curator and now I'm an associate curator. So it's been, it's been a really fun journey.
0: Goodness. And, um, so you, uh, so you grew up in California, right? And you went to UC Davis.
1: That's right. Thank
0: you, LinkedIn. So <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, where's UC Davis in relation to like any, uh, a big, um, Californian city. That... So
1: it's inland from San Francisco. If you know where okay. that is in the coast, um, it's about maybe 45 minutes inland from there. So just
0: Past Oakland. Yes, okay, okay. exactly.
1: So it's probably, it's I typically say it's closer to Sacramento, the capital, which is where I'm actually from. But it's sort of in between. So if you're driving from Sacramento to San Francisco, you'd pass Davis along the way.
0: Okay, very cool. And then, so you got your master, or sorry, you got your bachelor's of art history there. Yes. That's awesome. And then you you also got your master's, but that wasn't in California. That's correct. Okay, so you moved... And it was in Indiana. You went to okay. You went to Notre Dame. That's right. Okay. So the what Irish. brought you? What, what, what brought you to uh, South Bend over there?
1: You know, it was one of those situations where, when I was looking at schools for my master's program, I knew generally. That I wanted to be in a smaller program, a smaller school. I was hoping that there would be a good, you know, financial incentive to go. And then I also learned pretty early on that I was looking for a specific type of professor that I wanted to work with. So I, at the time, was specifying in. Um, specializing, excuse me, in 18th and 19th century French painting. And I found a woman whose specialty matched up with mine, and she happened to teach at Notre Dame. And so it was one of the schools I applied for, and uh, they accepted me. They gave me a little good financial incentive, and uh, I, I loved it there. It took a while for me to get comfortable with it. I think the first year it was kind of a shock moving from a very progressive state like California to somewhere that's a little more insular like Indiana. And I, I really loved it being there. I don't know that I would want to live in South Bend full time all year. It's pretty cold. <laughs> yeah. But, and uh, you come
0: from really good weather in California. I
1: do. So. I do. So, um, so it, was a, it was a really good period in my life, um, but I'm happy to be in a warmer climate now.
0: Yeah. You decided to come to Paradise in mm-hmm. North Carolina. So so were you, um, and you, you mentioned you're married. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you meet your husband here in North Carolina or?
1: I didn't actually. Okay. We met in Los Angeles. So it was between, long story short, uh, <laughs> after I left Notre Dame, after I graduated, I worked for two years in an art gallery in LA. And it was during that time that I ended up um, meeting my husband. We actually ended up finding out that we lived only five blocks away from each other in this giant city of 12 wow. million people um, and not including, you know, the suburbs and the right, surrounds. Right. And so it was one of those just weird, wonderful situations. And then he was kind enough to travel east with me. And uh, here we are today.
0: Yeah. yeah. And you've been here for almost 10 years. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then you you were a curator at um, in both UC Davis and at Notre Dame as well right?
1: I was working with curators there. With curators, Exactly. So I was a curatorial assistant when I was um, an undergraduate and then when I was at uh, Notre Dame I was the assistant to the curator of western art. So basically Notre Dame's museum is really really small. It's called the Snyd Museum of Art and there's only a couple curators, maybe three max. They've had some changeover since I was there 15 years ago. Um, But at the time, they really only had one person who covered all of Western art. So all European, um, American, everything, even decorative arts, that was all this one man. Um, and wow. so it was a lot to cover, <laughs> and including everything from art from the Renaissance and the Baroque period all the way through contemporary art. That's a pretty big chunk of knowledge that yeah, you have to yeah, have. I'd say so. <laughs> yeah. So I feel very blessed that I was able to work with him and you know take some of that load because that's a lot of work, um, and I learned so much, and that also helped me to determine that yes, this is this is the kind of job that I would like to do, but be a little more specialized so I don't have to learn everything about all art in the world that would be that is a lot
0: so so what do you you said you focus on contemporary art Mm -hmm. so you know what does that mean for a person not familiar with art
1: so the funny thing about contemporary art is that in general it's kind of a moving target because you know every year we move deeper and deeper into whatever time period we're in (laughs) some museums Ha, say that contemporary period begins like the 1960s, 1970s. We specifically say mid 1980s to now is contemporary. But of course, ask us in 20 years and that can change. What's contemporary sure. 20 yeah. years from now? So it, it's really interesting. We have this sort of unofficial way of delineating between modern art and contemporary art within our curatorial team, where just kind of as a joke, we say if an artist is still alive, the contemporary curators handle it. If an artist is dead, then our modern art curator takes it over. Uh, okay. But then again, if somebody died tomorrow, <laughs> I don't think that works. So it's this very fast and loose, totally unofficial way to delineate what contemporary art is.
0: So the, the museum here is massive, and the so the contemporary art section can it can does it continue to grow as like you know, I, I assume it takes up more and more space as time goes on. Exactly. And you have an interesting job. Maybe uh, you, I mean, you can tell me about the conversation you were just having earlier today with someone across the world. But, I mean, you know, it, it might be really hard to get some of these – or, I mean, it's probably hard to get any kind of piece. But as a curator, um, I don't know, you get to talk with these artists firsthand instead of just trying to negotiate with someone who maybe has a piece that of someone who has already died or something. So,
1: exactly. I mean. And I think for me – that's always something that I say is one of the benefits of being a contemporary curator is that I get this wonderful opportunity to speak with people face to face or over the phone or via email. I get to talk to a creator and say, what were you thinking when you made this? Why were you inspired to do it? What is your take on it? What do you want other people to know about this piece? and it's nice to be able to hear that from the person who actually made the work of art. I think that's really special, and that's a, a benefit that for the most part only a contemporary curator can have. Because even if you're looking back at an artist's diaries or letters or artifacts from hundreds of years ago, you can still only know so much. Sure. So this is an opportunity for me to really to delve in and just get clarification, ask questions, and pick brains of people, and I think that's really fun.
0: Yeah, so So, I mean, what's, what's a typical day look like for you?
1: The thing that I think is really funny is that in people's minds, when they're thinking about art curators, they probably imagine us walking around the galleries and just looking at all the beautiful <laughs> art. And I say, I wish that was true. Sipping
0: tea or coffee exactly. and, or wine <laughs> and thinking, yeah.
1: okay. Sounding fancy, leading tours, <laughs> writing books. You have to have an
0: accent too. So exactly.
1: You're... Always. Um, but I have to say, I spend the vast majority of my day at my computer um, answering a million emails, answering phone calls, being in touch with everybody from um, the you know my next door neighbor who found a piece of work in her mother's attic and wants to know if it's worth anything to the you know the high school graduate who says I want to do what you're doing, can I come over and talk with you? It's all it's cool. a lot of. And not necessarily administrative, but it's a lot more drudgery than people think. Um, and I mean that in a nice way, I suppose. It's it's not at all drudgery most of the time, but it's You're a lot. You're saying it's not
0: glamorous all the time.
1: That's but. exactly okay. right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a lot of writing. So I would say that if anybody was really interested in writing, it's a really good job for people who like to write because I spend a lot of my time not only reading and researching, but also writing everything from wall labels to exhibition descriptions to uh, information for our website of upcoming shows, blog posts on new uh, ac- acquisitions that are coming into the collection. I write reports on works that are coming into the collection. A lot of our other curators publish articles about historical works of art. And so it's a constant. Process as we build uh, information about the collection and look forward to creating exhibitions. A lot of writing.
0: Wow, that, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And um, maybe I won't really want to talk about your um, your podcast here in a second. But if you could describe to someone who maybe isn't even familiar with what museum we're talking about, you know, they they pass maybe they are on Blue Ridge and they they pass by this um, you know big building with a lot of sculptures outside. And they're not really sure what's going on, so. Tell me about the Museum of Art here in Raleigh. Uh, you know What's different about it? What makes it unique?
1: I love this place. This is the North Carolina Museum of Art. And uh, what I think is really interesting is that the history of this museum, it's, oh, let's see. I'll do some quick math in my head. I think we're approaching 65, 70 years. In wow. the 1940s, this museum was set up. And what it was set up with was this incredible money that was put aside by the state. Uh, of North Carolina, a million dollars. So imagine a million dollars in the 1940s, 1930s, was set aside specifically for the purchase of art for the state of North Carolina. And that forms the bulk of the collection of the state. A lot of the best paintings and works of art that's in our European collection, our American collection in particular, that's really the crux of how this museum was founded. But that we were the first state in the nation to put money aside specifically for art like that, for Hmm. the public, for the people, which I think is very cool. And so for me, the other thing that's really great is kind of carrying along with that mission is that we are a free institution, just like a lot of the other museums in Raleigh. So we don't charge general admission. If we do have a ticket price, it's only for special temporary exhibitions, and that's usually only one or two exhibitions every year. So it's it's a relatively small amount, and not only do we have Wonderful art from all over the world on view. We also have um, an emphasis on local artists as well. North Carolina artists are always represented in our collection. And we have a really wonderful performing arts series, a really wonderful programming department that does education and fun activities from everybody from toddlers all the way through seniors, concerts, music. I you gonna, name it. I was
0: going to talk about that cuz something I really enjoy besides of course going to, you know, seeing all the art is the walking paths outside. So is that is that belong to uh, you know, the museum?
1: It is. We have How
0: many, acre, how many acres? <gasps>
1: You know, I always forget the exact number, and I should have had this in front I mean, of me. It, it feels like a
0: like a mini Umstead Park in the middle, yeah, in the middle of Raleigh. So.
1: It's a lot. It's like 164, maybe, is the exact number. I can't quite remember. But it's a lot. It's 160, 180 acres. And it's integrated into the Greenway system. So it's just a really fantastic place to go biking, to walk. There are these walking trails. One is a mile-long loop. So if you're here on a lunch break, you can just do a quick mile. Um, it's really fun, and we've started integrating more sculpture, more works of art into the landscape, and that's something that's going to be continuing. And also, we're aiming to have more gardens and things that are more family friendly. So, it really is a great place to just come and explore.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, you have, you mentioned the concerts, you have lots of events, especially during the summer, right? Yeah. Yeah, Tons like of fun. That. It's it's I funny. That.
1: <laughs> Me too. I love coming to them. Uh, something that's fun though is like seeing the many different audiences that it attracts. Because there's a very different audience that might come to a contemporary art exhibition than might come to a particular movie. That might come and walk in the park. So we're really trying to be a good benefit to all these different communities within the triangle and really within the state itself.
0: That's great. And then. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I forget where I was going with that. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk um, about the the podcast. So I think you've given us a good idea of what you do, and then the museum itself. But um, one of the ways we got connected was because someone who really likes your podcast and and actually listened to mine as well wanted us to connect. So I'm I'm glad we're doing that. But tell me about Art Curious, which was awesome. I've listened to a couple episodes. I think it's fantastic. But tell me Thank tell you. me about that and how it got started.
1: Yeah. So uh, kind of my story that I always tell everybody is that when I am meeting people just kind of in my daily travels, I tell them what I do here at the museum, and I usually get a range of responses, but you can kind of plot them on a graph and (laughs) between these two lines, these two poles. And it's either, oh, that is so cool, I love art, or, oh, okay, interesting, not for me.
0: Talking about the podcast?
1: Talking about art in general. Just
0: art in general. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: people are always just sort of like, I either love art, or I just... Don't think it's that interesting. I'm really into dance. I'm into music. I'm into movies, but art is just a painting on a wall. I've heard that so many times. And the honest truth is that I used to be that person. I was somebody who was always interested in science and, um, you know, experiments and things like that. When I was a kid and growing up even all the way into my junior year of college, I was a science major and I was (laughs) that person that thought art was just not for me. And uh, I had this lightning bolt moment when I took my very first art history class and I really realized that the stories behind these works of art are what are really cool to me. Because a painting or a sculpture, it can look cool, but for me that only gets me so far sometimes. I want to know more. I want to go a little bit deeper and for me, sometimes I just need a good story to get me there, and then oh. I decided to do the podcast.
0: That's what I was, uh, was going to say: is um, listening to it. It's not a lecture, so I, I really, honestly, I didn't know what I was expecting when I when I was listening to it for the first time. But uh, I was like, oh, is this going to be a lecture? But no, it was a really. It's just you talking, but it, it's super interesting, and it's it's almost like an audiobook. It's really engaged. I really like it. It's really Thank engaging. You. It's like special story about um, I listened to one about, let's see, it was like rivals, uh, Michael, it's Michelangelo. You got okay. it. <laughs> and it's not Raphael. It's yeah. Is it, do you pronounce it Raphael? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, you said it some way and I was like, shoot, I've been pronouncing it wrong my whole life or something, but no, you're um, good. Okay. Okay. Very good. So listening to them and it was actually super interesting, um, their rivalry. So, I mean, you know, that stuff that you don't think about, you're not just describing, you know, a painting it's, uh, talking about these stories that you don't I guess wouldn't think about in art, so I really, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. So, I mean, this is your third season with it. Mm -hmm, So, what what kind of topics do you talk about?
1: Well, uh, as you mentioned, this one, this whole season right now that I'm in the middle of, I just put out my halfway marker of my episodes, uh, is all about rivalries. So it's um, about people who had specific rivalries who were really kind of fighting and duking it out for top Renaissance artists like Michelangelo and Raphael, but also about some unintended rivalries. Like um, I'm covering two women from the French Revolution period in a few episodes, and they were not rivals at all in their daily lives. They weren't competing for you know the same commissions they both had wonderful high powered jobs but because they were women they were seen as being competitors because there were so few women artists that they were kind of looked at in this really you know microscopic view and people dissected their lives and then pitted them in their own public imaginations against one another so <laughs> I'm talking about that I just put out an episode earlier this week about Um, Jackson Pollock and Willem de Kooning, two great um, abstract expressionist artists who were married to famous artists in their own right. And those women, I think, don't get a lot of credit and are often thought of as being in rivalries with their memories of their own husbands, if that makes any sense. So I'm kind of taking this interesting um, route about what rivalries in art could look like.
0: Wow. And then you've been doing this for three seasons at three years about or
1: it'll be two years this summer actually. Okay. So I, uh, I went, I jumped into podcasting without knowing a whole lot about it actually. Same. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a wonderful learning experience, (laughs) a a challenge at points. Um, I really got into podcasting because I loved it so much. I love, I listen to them all the time. Mm. It's the background of my life. I always say (laughs) it's background noise. And, uh, I started it with my, what I'm now calling my first season, with just the intention of putting out a new episode every two weeks. And that was me writing, researching, editing, post-production, marketing, you know, getting all of it together. And uh, I learned pretty quickly that that is just untenable and it's completely undoable, especially when I have a full-time job, a uh, marriage.
0: And meanwhile, I'm writing all this down, <laughs>
1: <laughs> transcribing everything. <laughs> Um, yeah it's a it's a lot of work as you know it it takes uh, some serious effort and so I did that for about 10 episodes before I broke down and hired someone who conveniently just happens to be my husband to do the (laughs) (laughs) post-production so I have one less big job to do that's good and then at after 10 more episodes of that at about the 20th episode point I said you know what I'm gonna I'm going to be like a Netflix show and I'm going to go down to like 10 or eight special episodes (laughs) and I'm going to take a break and do a lot of prepping in advance and uh, then I'm going to release them slowly. So I did that and that has been for me just kind of a lifesaver, being able to work not under this constantly ticking clock like I had, had envisioned and created for myself at the beginning. And so that's where the seasonal aspect has come into play.
0: That's really cool. And actually, I was going to get into that. You write all of these. I mean, it's just, it's really hard uh, being the only person talking, but you do it really well. Uh, so, you. so you write everything before, or you're typing everything beforehand, then you're editing it and making sure you know it makes sense in, I guess, like a one-sided kind of conversation. Um, tell me about that because that's a ton of research you have to do for everything.
1: Yes. It's and you're pretty ton. much, you're like
0: writing a short story almost.
1: You know what? It, it really has come to the point where I've started realizing it's like being back in college, except I'm writing a term paper every couple of weeks instead of having like a big term paper at the end of the semester. So it is constant writing. Again, going back to that point about my job that I love, I love to write this Works, but yeah, I, I write everything out because I feel like I'm a much better speaker when I have things delineated out in front of me. I'm not as good, kind of off the top of my head, and um, yeah, <laughs> as seen right now when I'm kind of stumbling over my words. Uh, <laughs> and I want to be clear. You obviously haven't
0: listened to enough of my episodes, uh, no. so, yeah. <clears throat> and
1: I, I want to make sure that I'm providing you know the appropriate information. I want to be able to. Not mix up my data, because I feel like that can easily happen when I'm talking about a work of art that's 500 years old. I could easily say that it was created in 1501 when it was actually 1605. And, you know, little mistakes happen. And for me, just writing everything down and having it be in this clean narrative was just easy. And also, I've found that there are only a handful of art or art history podcasts out there. And by far, the majority of them are these kind of conversational, very loose Formats, and so I thought that this was a way not only yeah, to be a kind of. Yeah, exactly. And also, I really like these kind of shows where it's, you know, telling me stories about something that I may not know a lot about or I may not even have any interest in. I always tell people that you could tell me a story about anything, and if you tell a good story, I'm totally on board. So, like, I don't know, tape measures. I'm not fascinated with tape measures, <laughs> but if you told me a really good story, I would be so excited about tape measures. <laughs> <laughs> So, and that was sort of my hope with doing the Art Curious podcast was um, just to maybe open up this world of art to people who normally would think that it's not for them, because I firmly believe that art is for everyone. And even if you think you don't like art, I guarantee you there's a story out there that can change your mind and at least make you like something.
0: I'm convinced. So (laughs) um, I was going to ask, well, I was going to ask something, I don't know, but. No, that that's a very that's cool. That's a cool process how you do everything. Um, and then you've actually written some books, right? And you wrote one about podcasting.
1: I did. So you're, um, you're a
0: public, you know, you're a publisher.
1: <laughs> it was an ebook on Kindle. To be fair, but yes, um, my, I was just saying earlier. My husband is always saying it doesn't matter. It's Still a book. You're still an author. That's right. So to, it's it's hard to be like yes, I'm an author, but. Um, <laughs> I guess technically, technically that, that is true. I wrote a book called Podcast Perfection that's kind of my step-by-step guide to really getting a podcast off the ground because I didn't have one when I was starting and uh, it would have been useful. And for me, I, I really thought it was most useful to think about the kind of questions that if somebody was starting a podcast from scratch, the kind of questions I want to would want to lead him or her or them to... To think about what they wanted their show to be. And so it's questions like, who do you think your audience is? If you were to create an audience profile, tell me exactly what they are. What are you looking to get out of the podcast for you personally? What are you looking to give to your audience? And I kind of um, have arranged this book that takes you step by step through these questions and then takes you a little bit more into the nitty gritty of what it's like to produce an episode, what kinds of different episodes you can think about producing. Um, I talk a little bit about equipment, although there's so much out there that by no means could you really do an exhaustive guide unless you were just like a microphone person and that's all you wrote about. <laughs> uh, but really, it's just a, a very quick and easy guide to learning how to do something like like we're doing right now.
0: Right. right. And uh, I remember the question I was going to ask earlier. So yes. the question is, you know, you, you have this awesome podcast and really great following. Does uh, North Carolina Museum of Art, have they sponsored you? Or do do they kind of, you know, have they, I don't know, is it is it your thing? Or is it their thing? It is
1: my of... thing. Okay, that's, that's a cool. really good question. Yeah, I think um, I started it very early on with this wish to keep it separate. Um, and part of that was because my background is in art history that's historical art. It's nineteenth, 18th and 19th century French painting. That is not at all what I do in my daily life. And the podcast is sort of my way of touching back to that and enjoying that in a different way. But by the fact that I'm not talking about contemporary art, there's this natural divide between my day job and then this passion project on the side. And uh, I really liked that because it then also allows me to keep control over it and you know, mm. creative, creative control, creative mastery um, and not having somebody else's needs drive what I want to write about. So I just choose the topics that I want to write about and I build my episodes and seasons around it from there. So by no means is it a secret. I know that um, I am very lucky that I have a, a couple fans on staff, which is really nice, <laughs> who will share with me their thoughts. And I have had a couple of them share with me their ideas for episodes, which is really fun also. So again, it's no secret, but it's definitely just uh, my side of side hustle that's cool
0: (laughs) i like it thanks and then um i meant to ask this earlier but you know you're in such a the triangle is such a cool area and i think there's a lot of art enthusiasts um maybe more than other areas too so uh you coming from california and then indiana um do you find that universities and you know the community lends itself well to i mean this This community, this uh, museum, and maybe talk about that for a second.
1: I think out of all the places I've lived or even places that I've kind of visited for longer periods of time, I have never really seen an art community that's as connected and as supportive as the community specifically in the Triangle. I think it's uh, people always seem to come out for one another. People are always spreading the news. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of Uh, competitiveness and if it's competitive it's a really happy healthy competitiveness there I've never quite experienced the community and the closeness that I have with this place and that extends also to the podcasting community Um, I I only know really a handful of other podcasters in Raleigh but everybody is so supportive of one another and I think it's really special I really haven't delved into another community that's quite like this obviously I'm a big fan I love it here
0: (laughs) that's awesome. Uh, well I don't think I warned you about this but uh, I try to ask this if any, any, anybody that's on the podcast but how are how are you transforming the 919?
1: oh that's such a big question <laughs> um, my hope is that again and I, I really just hope that I can reach out and I touch some people who might think that art isn't something that they're interested in and maybe they hear this good story and it changes their mind maybe they walk by a gallery in downtown Raleigh and all of a sudden they go oh you know what I'm going to pop in there and I'm going to find this tiny drawing that's 25 bucks and I'm going to buy it. And all of a sudden you're an art collector. I mean, that's thinking that's pretty big, but just the fact that maybe art could be opened up to a new audience, a new person. uh, It's just a whole new world. And it's a world that I'm really passionate about sharing.
0: Awesome. Uh, Anything I missed that you wanted to talk about? This is
1: good. No, it's good.
0: All right. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for being on the 919 podcast.
1: Thank you again for having me. This was fun.
0: You just listened to Jennifer Dassel talk about art in the triangle and North Carolina. If you like the pod, let me know by leaving a five star rating on iTunes and make sure to connect with the show on Twitter and Facebook at the nine one nine podcast. You can also follow my personal Twitter account at John Carter NC and there I post a lot about sports, North Carolina or other things I find interesting. And as always, thanks for listening.